because Jesus Christ is, uh, is our advocate. He's at the right hand of the Father, coming again. It's great because he's promised to build his church, so we're part of something that is indestructible, that the Lord is doing. I will build my, my church could probably go on. There's some things that may come into your mind, but it's also great because grace and granite is back. Amen? Amen. What a glorious time we, we have together. And so we, we have these, these periods where we clench the fist and go hard, and then we relax the hand uh, over the holidays and, and come right back at it. So I've been anticipating this morning, and I'm sure you have, uh, you have too. If you're new this, uh, this semester, you're trying it out first time this morning, let me just kind of give you an overview of what we do. We, we meet every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. unless you hear otherwise. So you'll, uh, you'll get an email. If you haven't uh, given us your email, um, that's one of the things we do, we communicate give you info, but we meet every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. There'll be coffee uh, fellowship that usually lasts for uh, about uh, 10 or 15 minutes, and then we, uh, we go to scripture together. We started doing this, just doing our, our, our devotions together, uh, seeking the Lord in the morning uh, as, uh, as men uh, over four years ago. Um, I'm going to switch it up on you a little bit this morning. We normally do uh, psalm on the day. We're, this semester we're going to do Proverbs on the, on the day, so we're going to be in Proverbs uh, 23 uh, this morning. So we'll read through that, we'll pray, uh, and then the, the, the meat of the morning is our, is our Grace and Granite uh, book, which is, uh, which is here. Uh, you can uh, get a copy of it. It's a three-year, three-year curriculum um, $20 covers the, the printing, and I think for coffee, and others. if you don't have the money today, no big deal, uh, you can take it and just put your name down there and bring, bring the money whenever. Um, but this is what we walk through uh, every Tuesday whenever we, when we get here. Um, it's a hodgepodge of a, of, of a bunch of folks that uh, went into putting this together. It goes all the way back to some early days uh, at Grace Community Church with John MacArthur, uh, Jerry Ragg, who's our president of our seminary, Expositor Seminary, was, uh, was uh, on staff with Pastor John there, and Lance Quinn, and then that uh, bunch of people added to it. We're adding to it uh, even right now. This is the curriculum that we work through. The beauty of it is if you miss uh, or if you jump in in the middle, it just keeps rolling. So... Uh, if you're new uh, to this, this semester, you didn't really miss anything because we're going to pick up right where we left off and we're going to keep right on moving along and then we're going to turn right back around and, and start again. So eventually, if you, uh, if you hang around or Jesus doesn't come, you'll, you'll, get, through the, you'll get through the whole, whole curriculum. And it's laid out with a general topic and then a bunch of scriptures that we don't, uh, we don't look all of them up because we'd spend all morning doing that. They're for your personal study. And then there's some bullet points and some you know, paragraphs that we, we actually teach through that, we'll discuss and, you know, and, and, and talk. Normally, I am uh, here doing the Grace and Granite uh, teaching, uh, but sometimes we, we bring in 
guys that that may be preaching for us, conference otherwise, or our own uh, our own fellows. Let me tell you now, not next week, but the following, which would be the first week of February. So that would be February six, February six. No grace and granted on February six. All the elders will be in uh, at Jupiter, Florida, for the Courageous Churchman. Um, Conference, which is part of, uh, of TES, and so uh, February six, no, uh, no grace and granted that uh, that that day. We'll send out an email to remind you uh, of that. So that's a general thumbnail of, of how we do uh, what we do. Our topic that we're covering this semester is on discipleship. So we restarted the book. Uh, so last semester. We got through the first lesson, which was all about laying foundational convictions. Uh, What do we believe? Why do we believe them? And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, going through the fundamentals of the faith. We're talking about men need to be convicted, need to have convictions, where those convictions come from, how you develop them, uh, and then how that flows out in, uh, you know, in, in your life. So... We said, first of all, you have to know the truth. Uh, you have to know what you're, you're going to be convicted of. So we talked through last semester about how to, how to develop, uh, you know, a biblical theology. Uh, where do you start? I didn't come to Christ till I was 24. I didn't know the difference between the Old and the New Testament. So um, no clue. Like my first Bible had those little tabs in there, and uh, I needed those little tabs and, you know, when they would say, turn to, you know, Malachi, I'm looking, uh, you know, M-A-L. Uh, okay, uh, that kind of gives me an orientation of where I'm supposed to go. Clueless, didn't know anything. So w- where do you start? I mean, I believed in God, heaven, hell, Jesus, knew there was a church. It was all messed up in what I thought. It was religion. I was going to be a good guy. You know, God sends bad people to hell. Good people get to go to heaven. You know, it's all kinds of, of, of stuff. A few Bible stories in there, you know, Jonah and the, uh, the, you know, the fish, which to me at that point was, was a whale, and, you know, uh, Noah and his big bathtub that kind of floated around out there with, with all the little animals in it. I mean, general Bible study uh, or uh, uh, children's uh, story stuff, but never did any type of, of Bible study. So where do you start? Maybe you're there. Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you've been in church, you've come back. Uh, if you don't know the storyline of the Bible, you know, that it is God's revelation, meaning he's revealing himself to you through the scripture, that he's the main character in the Bible. It has a storyline from beginning to end. God's doing something in the world. And to know as you're reading the scriptures, Okay, where am I at on that storyline? The Old Testament is part of a storyline, and the New Testament's farther downstream, if you will. How do you even develop that? So that's what we talked about last time, knowing the truth. Then you have to believe it, believing the truth. So how do you allow what what you've now known to sink down into the crevices of your heart? How do you take it like nails and drive it into the board of your soul? Uh, and, and when the world tries to, to, you know, back those nails out, hit it again with a hammer. You know, those are convictions. These convictions that, that will hold you like, like an anchor 
uh, even when the wind blows or, or, uh, or the devil knocks on the door or whatever analogy you want to do. So you know the truth and then you, you, you believe the truth and then we said you live the truth. Um, now you're, you're, uh, you're living it out. And, of course, these are not in, in perfect progression. Okay, I've got to know everything about the Bible then I've got to let it sink into my heart, and then I've got to live it out. You're doing this all at once. It's, you know, it's not linear this way. It's, it's happening, but it, it's all there. So what little you know, you believe, you're convicted of, and then you're living that out. Um, and so, but, but living is, 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 a, is an important part of it. Um, you can say stuff, but do you believe it? How do you know whether you believe it? Well, are you living it? Has it transformed your life? Uh, do you believe it enough that, that it will actually change your desires, your affections, your, your actions, you know, and, and so on and, and so forth? So you, you, you live it. First John chapter 1 says, If we say we have fellowship with him, which is our words, and yet walk in darkness, live our lives in darkness, then we lie and do not the truth. And so uh, what we believe, what we know, what we believe is always connected to, to how we live. Jesus is the Savior. He'll save you from your sins. Wash any sin clean. Give you power to overcome those sins. It doesn't matter what, what you've done, how long you've done it, how deep you've done it. Jesus Christ can cleanse your soul to the uttermost. Praise his name. But he's not just Savior, he's also Lord. He's God. And so when you come to him for forgiveness, you're bowing the knee to the King of Heaven. You're saying at that moment, I have lived in my own ways, with my own will, and now I am turning to you. I'm turning from myself, what I know, my own self-righteousness, my attempts to get there, my attempts to deal with my sins and my struggles, and I am now turning to you as, as Lord. It doesn't mean when you come to Christ that you, know, you get up from, uh, from, from receiving him and praying with all the curse words that have been flying out of your mouth and in your mind, uh, you know, completely expunged, all of the nasty things that you've looked at, uh, you know, gone, that you'll never image in your mind again, you know exactly what to do, um, that is progressive sanctification. Those are the things that the Lord works out of your life as you, as you live for him. What is different at that moment, though, is there's a new king in town, and it's not you. He is Savior, and he is Lord. That's what they're preaching in the book of Acts, that the apostles are preaching, this Jesus whom you crucified he is both Lord and Christ. He's God, and he's the, the Savior. So what does that have to do with living it? Well, you now live the life that, that he, he commands you to, to live. If you love me, keep my, keep my commandments. You, you follow him, and then finally you share it. You share it with others. Again, it's not that you know everything about the Bible before you start sharing it with others. It means that what you understand right now... You, you believe, convicted of, it, it, it's compelled you, the truth has changed you. you. You hold on to it, 
and you're trying to live it out, even if that's imperfect, and then you're sharing that with, with, with others. And what you share may be, may be a little bit, but little is much when God is in it. The Lord can take the weakest of faith, the simplest of witness, and transform someone. Have you ever heard Charles Spurgeon's testimony? You know the great Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon went to church on a, on a Sunday morning. I believe it was Sunday. It was a snowstorm outside. There was only a handful of people there. The preacher didn't even show up. And a deacon, no, nothing against, uh, a slant, not a slam against deacons, but there was a deacon there, and he didn't even have a sermon. And he's the guy that gets up to, to share. And he reads a passage of, of Scripture. I think it was from the book of Isaiah. And all he could do was just repeat the verse. And it was, it was the verse that says, that says, look and live. Look unto Christ and live. And he said, you know, look unto Christ and, and, and live. And if you'll not look to him. I mean, it was just super simple. There was no deep exposition. And the Lord struck Charles Spurgeon with a lightning bolt and granted him faith and repentance and regeneration, the smallest of witness, faithful witness. The Lord can transform, transform the, 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 the soul of, of another person. You share it, whatever you know you share, which then, of course, deepens and grows, and, and then you become more articulate. So that's what we covered last time. This semester, we're going to talk about, uh, about the aspect of discipleship. What is that? Are you a disciple? Do you disciple others? Is it a program? Is it a nine-week course? What, what does that look like? That's, that's what we'll, what we'll cover um, today. So that's a long introduction, um, but that's, that's what's, uh, what's before us. It's super exciting. Can't wait to, to share it with you. But let's begin with Proverbs 23. You might need one of these, uh, these books uh, this morning. All right, uh, Clay, would you, a couple of them here? That'd be great. Proverbs 23. Just slip your hand up when he comes and he'll, uh, yeah. Proverbs 23, we're, we're jumping in the middle of it. Why are we on uh, Proverbs 23? Because no magic to it, just a simple way to do, do devotions, whatever day it is. You do the psalm on the day, and if you, you, you work through the psalms, you, you can get five psalms in, uh, in a morning. So today would be the 23rd psalm. That one's pretty familiar. You add 30 days to that, um, and uh, you're at uh, 53 and then 83, and then you do the rest of, uh, of that, you can read through the Psalter in a month. Well, there's 31 Proverbs, so you're only going to read one proverb. And today is the, the 23rd. It is the 23rd today, right? You guys caught me one time on the wrong day. Proverbs is, uh, it, it's not like a song, that's, that's uh, where David or, or, or one of the, the other writers is singing to the Lord, whether it's corporate, personal singing. It's like composing a song. I love the Psalms because they're very personal. It goes through how he's feeling and thinking and 
you may start down and end with, you know, with, with hope. Proverbs is something completely different. It's to give you wisdom. They're general axioms, uh, but these are inspired. So this is not like fortune cookie stuff or your, you know, your worldly wisdom on your calendar in, in the morning. Um, this is inspired truth. Uh, and they're general truths. So don't view these like, you know, like, like, like the commands uh, or, or, the, or the explicit promises that you may find in, uh, in, in the epistles. Um, these are things that, that are generally true. Um, I don't want to take any authority away from them. It's God's word. But I'm just saying be careful that you don't apply a proverb, you claim a, claim a proverb like a, like a promise that, that, that will happen 100% of the time. Um, 100% of the time, this proverb will, 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 will be generally true, if that, if that makes any sense. So we're going to read through them. gives us wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of, of wisdom, meaning we revere God, we look to Him, we look to His truth, and Proverbs instructs us in how to live wisely. What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Well, knowledge is knowing stuff. Wisdom is know what to do with it. Okay, wisdom is how to put biblical truth into practice. Do you find in your life you know a whole lot more than you actually practice? Well, then you, like me, you need Proverbs. Biblical wisdom is, is learning how to put what you know into practice and when to put it into practice. You may know how it works, but when do you do it? And, and then you may know, I need it now, but I don't know how. So this section of Proverbs is on life and conduct, is what my study Bible says. It says, when you sit down to dine with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you're a man of great appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for it is deceptive food. So he begins here with some general wisdom about sitting down with someone who is more powerful than you, or a ruler who may spread a table before you. And he says, be careful if you're someone given to appetite, someone who can't control them, them, themselves. This doesn't mean somebody who likes to eat. Uh, don't desire his delicacies, for it is deceptive food. Someone putting on airs. They lay before you is, is not always where their heart is at. Verse 4, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. For when you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Here, overwork, seeking the wrong thing. Back to how you deal with, with others might be one motive in their heart versus how they're treating you. Do not eat the bread of a, of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. For as he thinks within himself, so is he. He says to you, eat and drink. But his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments. So what is in a person's heart 
is their true disposition, no matter what they, what they say or, or what they do. Verse 9, don't speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Don't move the ancient boundary or go into the fields of the fatherless, for their redeemer is strong. He will plead their case against you. Apply your heart to discipline, your ears to words of knowledge. Do not hold back discipline from a child. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Oh, I told my mother I'm about to die, but I did not die. You shall strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart will, be, will also be glad, and my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in, in the way. Do not be, ang- uh, do not be with heavy drinkers of wine, or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. For a harlot, a loose woman, is a deep pit, and an adulterous woman is a narrow well. She lurks as a robber and increases the faithless among men. 29, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complainings, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes? Bunch of problems. Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it, go, when it goes down smoothly at last, it bites like a serpent, it stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. And your mind will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top mast. They struck me and I did not know. Uh, I did not become ill. They beat me and I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your truth so much. There, I pray that we would ponder on these things today, maybe even go back and read it ourselves, something that jumped out to us, and research it and see how we could put it into practice in our lives. Would you bless the rest of our time together in these men, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, open to page 7. Sorry about that. We are talking about developing courageous churchmen. We're speaking of discipleship. 
The purpose of the series is to drive home some foundational convictions. These convictions are what help give men the courage to stand on and apply the truth in their lives. Furthermore, this portion of, portion of training is, is intended to help men build a stronger commitment to the bride of Christ, to the church. It's not you and Jesus out there on the open trail. You are part of the body of Christ. You need the body, meaning other people. God has purposely gifted you to use you, and he's also purposely limited you to use others. And you need to understand both. How has God gifted you? What has he given you to do? Where do you unleash all of that? You you unleash all that in the church. Spiritual gifts that he's given you, the talents, the abilities, the energies he's given you. Your life is, is an altar where you offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord, and you offer yourself in the church. He's also purposely limited you. You're not the total package. Not the total package for your children, your church family. You're not the total package for your, for your wife. She would say amen if she was here. You're not everything, nor does God intend you to be. In fact, God has intentionally and purposely limited you. Why? Well, one, so you'd be dependent upon him, but two, so you would recognize your need of other people. You need other gifts. You need other people in the body of of, of Christ. And where are those needs that you have met? They're they're met in the church. So if you stay on the fringe, you you kind of run your own thing and go out there alone. You're not even invested in the church. Obviously, problems with that. A, you're not able to obey the New Testament. You're not able to serve Christ in the way that, that God has designed, and you're not able to, to grow and, and to be served. Or if you're here and you're not engaged, which obviously you're here this morning, so you're a group of men that are engaged, then then the same thing's not going to happen. You're not going to grow in sanctification. It's like, ah, why do I struggle so much with this sin? Why, why am I not growing more? Well, the first place that you should look is, are you availing yourselves of, of the grace of God, the graces that God has provided, the, the tools that he's given you to grow? If you're not using them, then that's the first place that you, you, you should look. And so we're talking about what does that process look like in the church? It's typically called discipleship. Discipleship is not optional. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of discipleship. Typically, that means like a program or a nine-week course in the, in the church. But discipleship is, is a mandate, and it actually goes to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Typically, when people think of discipleship, they think of uh, you know, a nine-week course or one person taking you know, a younger person through a book or, or curriculum. And that, in and of itself, is, is discipleship. And typically, when people think of the Great Commission, they think of winning people to Jesus, evangelism. They think of that only. In both of those examples are truncated. There's some truth there. Discipleship can involve, and does involve, somebody that's a little farther along than you, sitting down with you. It doesn't end with nine weeks, though. That's a limited view. And the Matthew 28, 19, and 20 involves evangelism, but it doesn't end there. Or We say you make and mature disciples. Of course you make disciples. Of 
course you share the gospel with people. Of course you want to see people come to Jesus, evangelism. But it doesn't end there. You then make them followers of the Savior, who's also Lord. They're now following him. They're now on the path. They're now walking in, in his ways. They're a disciple of Jesus Christ. It begins there, but it continues. So we like to say making and maturing disciples. Not just making decisions, but a disciple. Of course you decide. But what do you decide to do? You decide to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And that follower then follows And in that following, you mature, meaning you become more and more like Christ. So when you think of discipleship that way, you're thinking really of the Great Commission. And now you're thinking biblically about discipleship and and evangelism. It's a mandate for every Christian. That mandate in Matthew 28 was given to the church, given to the apostles who laid the foundation of the church. And that's what they're doing in the book of Acts. They're fulfilling that mandate, making disciples. Jesus will build his church through the gospel. They're taking the gospel, but they don't just drop a gospel bomb on somebody and then leave them there, do they? They they then bring them into their house, and they're following in fellowship in the apostles' doctrine. They're, They're learning how to follow. In fact, the essence of what it means to be a Christian is to be a disciple. It's discipleship. When we believe the gospel, we, we, we turn from following ourselves and the world, and we begin following Christ. And now our entire lives are directed by him as we learn to obey his word. 2 Corinthians 5.15 echoes this truth. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their, their behalf. A lot of your problems in your Christian life will go away if you will get what happened to you right when you came to Christ. Right thinking about that. Go back to bedrock, as we said, maybe three or four Sundays ago. Like, what happened when you bowed the knee to Jesus? What happened there was you died. You're over. You're no longer saving your life, living your life. You, you lost it. You gave it up. And, and what a great thing that is. What were you before you came to Christ? You're headed for hell. You're a sinner. You're, you, you know, you're messed up, just like me. And Jesus takes that, that messed up life, and that person goes in the ground. They go in the grave. It's the end of you. And then he gives you new life. You're a new creation. You now have resurrected life. You now have been made alive. You have been made alive spiritually. He's now he's promised that you'll have a living body one day, a spiritual body, not the one that's dying right now that's described like a tent. The end of you. And the life that you now live, you live by faith. The Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. I mean, that is a watershed moment. That's different from asking Jesus into your heart. That's different from the idea of, you know, Jesus forgave me of my sins. I get to go to this place called heaven. All those are true. And, and, and I don't take anything away from those things. But I'm trying to get you to understand 
what happens at that moment. Christ at that moment claims you. Like, like he lays claim on you in that moment. He chose you before the foundation of the world and worked it out, however, to bring you to this moment. Now he lays claim on you in that moment. And you bow the knee to him. You die. You have no rights. You, 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 you have no dreams. You have no anything. You now are, are his. And again, what did you really give up? <laughs> You didn't give up anything. What did you get? You got the life of Jesus Christ. You, you get to become a joint heir. You get to become a son of God. You, you, mean you now have, have new life. And that life that you now live, you live following him. He's laid claim on you. And if he would die for you, he would lay down his life for you and lay claim on you as a sinner, you think he's going to forsake you? You think that there's anything going to be able to take you away from him? I mean, if he came to, from heaven to earth to die as a substitute, to die for you, do you think then after he's claimed you and died for you that, that there's going to be anything that would remove you from him, even your sin after you become a Christian? Even, Of course not. He's going to discipline you. He's going to draw you back. He's going to wash you clean. He's going to put you back on the path because he's laid claim on you. That, that's what he's done. But to go back to me and God, my rights, I'm cooperating, I'm doing this, like, like it's you and him, that's the wrong view of what happened. Salvation, you're gone. But there's a new you. And that new you is being remade in the image of Christ, and discipleship is happening. The life that I now live as this new creation, this new creature, new life. I live by faith. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does it mean to live by faith? Oh, I just, I just really believe. I just really believe. No, that, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is you are convinced of what God said, and then you, you live it out. It's your believing. Faith is your believing response to the promise of God. There's a promise. Here's what God says. Here's what God promised. Here's what God says is true. Here's what God says is right. No matter what you feel, no matter what the world says, here's what God says. And I believe it. And I act on it. I trust in it. It's your believing response to a promise of God. And it's not just a belief here. It, it then works out in your life. If I believe something, then, then I'm going to, to, to live it out. And living for him is simply becoming more like him less like the world, and helping others do the same thing. We make immature disciples. So when we're talking about discipleship, we're, we're not talking about a nine-week class or a program. It, it involves imitation, renovation, cultivation, and confirmation, which is what we're, we're going to look at through this, through this study. It, say it simply, it involves four parts. Your life. God's truth over a period of time and unto Christ. Your life, discipleship involves your life. It involves a credible walk. Not perfect walk, but a walk of integrity, moving in a direction. It involves your life. It involves God's truth. That's what brings change by conforming your mind to God's. That happens over time doesn't happen in lightning bolt strikes, although the Lord can strike 
Thank God he does. Most of your growth will be more like a steady rain that falls. So your life, God's truth over time, time and truth walk together, and then unto Christ. That's our target. That's our goal, him. If you're looking for this in your notes, it's not in your notes. I'm just sharing. Maturity is the target. Discipleship is people work. Done by other people, coming under the word, bringing both to be more obedient to to Christ. And so, I guess my opening admonition is don't overcomplicate it. It's just helping other people become more like Christ in the church. And so, we have some verses here in front of us. And I want someone to look up Titus 2.7. Who would be willing to do that? Thank you. Uh, Isaiah 66.2. Thank you. Philippians 3.17. Thank you. 1 Timothy 4.12. Thank you. And Hebrews 3.12 and 13. Thank you. All right. Now, here's what I want you to listen to is I'm going to ask each of these men to read these verses. I'm not going to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20, because I would guess you know that. Um, The mandate is where we develop our doctrine of discipleship. But I want you to pay attention to what these commands or these instructions, uh, what they say. These are epistles. (laughs) These are commands given to the church, instructions given to the church about how to do what Matthew 28 tells us to tells us to do and then we'll we'll talk about it. So Titus 2:7. Who had that one? All right. Sure. All right, I'm going to have you read it again. And I want you to, to listen because I'm going to ask you what you heard after he reads it again, all right? Read it again for us. This is about discipleship. So pay attention to the words. I'll ask you what does it say about what discipleship looks like. What, what is discipleship from this verse? All right, what did you hear? Yes. Modeling, right? Be an example. Discipleship involves being an example. How would you like it if your son or daughter, let's talk about your son first, would you like it if your son turned out exactly like you? You like that? Mm, I don't think I'd like that. I think there's some things I would like about it, but then there's some other things that that I, I wouldn't. How would you like it if your daughter married a man 
just exactly like you in every way. Be an example. So it's not just, discipleship's not just being a little me, because I can be warped. But be an example of what? Christ, yeah. That verse gave us some specific things, didn't it? What? What does it say? What else did you hear? Purity. Exactly right. It's exactly right. And what was the other word that went right along with it? Doctrine, teaching. Exactly right. I mean, example of purity, sincerity, holiness, becoming like the Lord, and, and teaching. My life that's like the Lord, and doctrine, which is the teaching of the Lord. That's what he's being called to be an example of. Now, I want my sons to be an example, follow my example of to the extent that it's purity and doctrine, the Lord's, the Lord's ways and the Lord's teachings. But that also implies that I need to then be seeking purity and doctrine. I need to be seeking those things and putting that in my own life, right? And so discipleship involves being an example. And some of you are amazing in, in, with, with skills, skills that the Lord's given you. Some of you have great brains. Some of you have few brains, like me. Some of you have abilities with your hands. Some of you have walked through uh, experiences in life. I'm not saying that all of those are completely disconnected from the, from the spiritual realm. But those are not the things that every single Christian needs. It may be helpful. What every single Christian needs is purity and doctrine, an example of the being and the doing, the teaching, and the holiness of, of the Lord. So that's what needs to be there, along with those other things that you have the, the ability to do. That's Titus. You need an example, which means that you need to be walking in those things yourselves. All right, what was our next verse? Isaiah 66, 2. Who had that one? All right, read Isaiah 66, 2. And again, listen, because I'm going to ask you what, what it says about discipleship. Isaiah 66, 2. Some of you in the back may not be able to, to hear that. Talking about discipleship. These are the words of the Lord. God talking about individuals that, that he looks to, that he pays attention to. We're going to ask what that has to do with discipleship. Go ahead and read it for us again. So God's the creator. Everything around you, everything about you, God's made. But then that next says, next verse says, but this is the one 
that will, will garner my gaze. This is the one I will pay attention to. This is the one who will have my, my attention, my affection. And what did it say about the kind of man that you, you want to be, the kind of follower of Jesus Christ that you want to image to others? What did it, what did it say? Three things, right? What was the first thing that it said? Humble. What else? Contrite. What else? Fears God, trembles at his word. That's your target. Again, think of, think of all the counterfeits and the things that the world puts out there that, that you can even find in, in, in Christianity. Um, things that are packaged. Oh, I want to follow that guy because he's a great speaker. He seems to grab the world by the throat. He seems to have it all together. He's successful in ministry, in life, and whatever else. That's not the man who always has God's gaze. The one that the Lord pays attention to and the one that you, therefore, should pay. If you think if this is the kind of man that God pays attention to, don't you think that's the kind of man that you would want to pay attention to, to follow, and then become like? He's a humble man, contrite. And trembles at his word. All right? Thoughts or comments about that one? Philippians 3.17. All right? Let me read it again. Again, we're talking about discipleship. Philippians 3.17. Go ahead. All right. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on others who, who are an example of the same thing. See, kind of a... Imitate me. That, that doesn't always sit well. Because there's things that I don't know that I'd want somebody to, to, to imitate. But that's what Paul says. Is Paul saying imitate Paul? Paul's saying follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me. Paul is a man that, that can be followed. Are you the kind of man that can be followed? Can people see Jesus Christ in you? Not just his stuff. Not just knowledge about him, but can they actually see Christ in you? They see his humility, his gentleness, his compassion, his care, service, his loving of others. You see those kinds of things? His holiness, his purity, truth. Well, to the extent those things are there, then you can ask people. And then it's not just you, it's others. Back in the church, right? Paul's just not saying follow me, just follow the pastor or follow the pastors. But look at others. There are others in the church. As Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, this is not my deal. This is not my, my body of information. The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. 
This is common doctrine. This is orthodox truth. This is Bible doctrine. Commit that to faithful men. All right? First Timothy 4.12 What did you hear in that one? Be an example. example. (laughs) There's kind of a pattern here, isn't there? Yeah. Put Clay on the spot here. When when, when you were, those of you who are here on on Sunday night, he's standing in the pulpit sharing why he wanted to be an elder and the fact that he was younger and some of the other elders. Did you hear him quote this verse? So the Bible says, you're not to look down on me because I'm young. Is that what he did? No, he did the other half of the verse. Showed himself an example. Mitigate, take away the weaknesses that you may naturally have because of your, your age that you can't change or because of your, you know, you, you just recently come to Christ or whatever it is. And the way that you overcome that is by being an example of Jesus in, in all these other, these other attributes. That, that's what you, you follow. You say, who am I? And I felt that. I still feel that. I feel that daily. Who am I? Well, I'm nobody. But I can actually put in my life the attributes of God because I now have a new life. Christ lives in me, and the Spirit lives in me, and, and I can appropriate those things. I, 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 can, I, I can learn those things, and then that's what they're following. I'm nobody, but Jesus Christ is somebody, isn't he? And he's in you, and that's what you want to cultivate, not your thing. You want to cultivate Christ, and to the extent that people see Christ in you, it doesn't matter if you're 12 to a certain degree or 80. And take away age and youth and those kinds of things. But there's the, there's the point. We've got one more. Hebrews 3, 12, and 13. Read that again. We're going to ask you the question about why is this verse here for discipleship? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Is it possible? To be a believer and get messed up? <laughs> yeah, I can testify to that. You can too. What messes you up? Something that, use our analogy, knocks on your door. I'm the devil, let me in, I don't want to ruin your life. It's the deceitfulness of sin. It slithers in, deceives you. 
long before you do the wrong thing, you've thought the wrong thing. The deceitfulness of sin wreck your life. So what's the antidote to that that has to do with discipleship? What's that last part? Exhort one another. Watch out for one another. Exhort one another. Do you have brothers in your life? Brothers. Not people that you say, hey, how you doing on Sunday? Brothers. Brothers that exhort you not to fall away. Brothers that watch you and that will come to you and grab you by the scruff of the neck whenever you start turning in another direction and say, don't. I love you. Be careful. Brothers that are such examples of, of that broken and contrite spirit and humility and trembling at the word, that their very example keeps you from looking away because you want to be like them. Like just being in their orbit, their gravity, which is connected to Christ, draws you, draws you in. Do you have brothers like that? If you don't have brothers like that, you're naked on the battlefield. You're naked. You, you might as well picture whatever you want to picture, Vietnam, the Gaza War, whatever else, you're standing out there. Don't picture yourself completely naked. Maybe you're in your swimming trunks. You have no gun. You have nothing. You're out there alone. How, 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 how long do you think one IDF soldier, without any armor on, and without any gun, alone, just going alone? Is that, is that how they sent the, the IDF into Gaza? Just, all right, one guy, we're just going to send him in one at a time. We'll see what you can do. And if you come back, we'll send in another one. Of course not. It's the same way. You need brothers. You need good brothers. You need brothers that you're, that you're brothers with. They know your life. Which means they're going to know some bad stuff about you too. But you know what? Same bad stuff they're dealing with as well. I'm not talking about, you know... The Catholic Church, where one priest goes to the confessional to the other priest and says, you tell me yours and I'll tell you mine and we'll absolve one another. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a brother that will confront you and love you. That's a, that's a true brother. Somebody that tells you the truth. It's a true brother. Somebody that gets in your grill. Again, to you Sunday night, Rich Brown was a true brother whenever he rebuked Clay, right? That's a brother. You need brothers like that. You don't just need one, you need a bunch. And that's the purpose of, of the church. Of course, you don't have to do that. You can go on pretending and living and being out there and you do your own thing and you draw from the church whenever you need something and you can you know, have a really small friend group, just people that tell you what you want to hear or like you for what you got or whatever, but you're going to die on the vine. You're going to get devoured because Satan is like a roaring lion seeking people whom he may may devour. Exactly right. Exactly right. Do wounds hurt? Of course they hurt. (laughs) We read in the Proverbs, my mama hurt me. She did. And I'm really thankful she did. 
She did it because I deserved it, and it helped me. A brother will actually wound you and will tell you the truth. Um, kisses of an enemy. Closing thoughts. I hope you have those brothers. If not, start today. You're here. Great brothers in this room. Say, so, I don't know how to do that. Just hang around them. You, know, you don't need to go and just back a dump truck load and dump all your, your problems on them. Just hang around them. It'll come out. Just be, be open. Closing thoughts? Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for your word, for your church. I'm so thankful for true brothers that tell me what I can't see, tell me what I don't always want to hear, will tell me the truth, even if it hurts, even if at times I may come back at them. They're resolute. They keep me from being without armor on the battlefield. I pray that you would grant that same blessing to every man in this room, and that he would press into that. And I pray that you would teach us this semester about making and maturing disciples, where we want to bring much glory to our Savior and Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.